This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. I've always tried to attack my insecurities, right? At the moment, I'm going bald, and I'm going bald in this weird way where from some angles it looks like I'm very not bald, and Peach, what are you like, what are you talking about? And then I'll have a photograph taken from a weird angle and especially like on socials, people are like, oh, fucking Peach, you're bald. You didn't tell me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Look, I'm sorry that from some angles it looks like I'm not going bald and for other angles it does. And so in order to manage the risk of those things that, that, that you know, some people are insecure about, including, including me about going bald, you try to lead with it. Hey, I'm Peach. I'm going bald. And it's, it's an approach I've adopted, you, you know, throughout the time you've known me, Shag. Like I remember sort of buying pornography as a teenager and being like, hello, like I'd like to buy this pornographic magazine because it's very, you know, the idea of owning a pornographic (laughs) magazine is very exciting and I'd like to own one. And I sort of thought that this podcast could be a little bit of a microcosm of like trying to come in, trying to lead with my chin, trying to be, you know, a little bit open to diving into an insecurity. And I realized one of my insecurities that we're, engaging with on this podcast is being thought of as closed-minded and so i'm trying to be in here to be curious i'm trying to be in here to say i thought i knew all there was to know about horror films but shag i think i'm coming in now to say look who knows who knows what 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 more lessons the horror community has to teach us we've already learned that you know hell might actually be okay if you just fucking relax which I think is an interesting lesson. And I suspect there are going to be some more interesting lessons for us to learn today. I'm looking forward to it. Peach, I'm so glad you've come into this episode with an open mind because for the next couple of episodes, Mm. I want to expand your horror education. I've actually been thinking about this lately and thinking about... I've probably taken it easy on you a little bit oh, in the last couple of episodes. You say this every week, though, in fairness. I do. It was like the last couple have been easy, you know, like, oh, fucking hell. But, 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 like, I don't want to just expand your horror knowledge in terms of the, the films we're talking about. Mm. I want to set up an interesting bit of context because we don't often do this sort of foreshadowing, but next week I yeah. want to talk about a film I saw at the Sydney Film Festival. But to get there, yeah. I think we need to set the context of where that film's set. It's a very meta horror film set in a period of the 1980s in the UK that we've talked about before but never really dived into called the Video Nasty Period. Do I know this film? Have we spoken about this socially before? I don't think... No, 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 no. We don't. This film we don't know about. I've listened to an Academics Talking About Horror Film podcast called Final Girls... About this film, I think. Maybe. Yes. Maybe. But maybe not. But maybe not. I'm even more curious now. This is exciting. I'm having the best time. So when I went to the... Sydney Film Festival. So when when I went to see this film at the film Mm. festival, it opened with the guy who was programming all the horror films this year. 
And he started by saying, you know, thanks so much for coming out there. And you're welcome, by the way, buddy. You know, I did buy my ticket. <laughs> so I don't know why I said that. Are you not friends? Like, <laughs> fuck you for curating this. <laughs> but, 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 after he, you know, thanked mm. us all for coming out, he said he was really interested in curating this film because the horror nasty period really was an interesting time when a lot of films gained way more notoriety than they needed to because they were bad. So the reason why this video nasty thing happened, I think is so interesting because today's film was released in 1979 in the States and no one gave a shit. It was then re-released on video. So it was re-released on VHS in the 80s, in 1982 in the UK. And at the time, a lot of these films that were being re-released on video weren't going through the official classification process because a lot of them were just like random shit that, like publishers were buying like willy-nilly to be like let's just put this on a vhs let's put it in a video store and let's just give it to the public and so to stand out a lot of these horror films had to have really garish marketing and this film had an incredibly gory poster that they created for it to get some attention and it's in the amount of attention it actually created was so big that a, a lot of his historians and a lot of you know modern film historians have said that this film almost single-handedly is the reason that the video nasty uh, I'm trying to remember what it was called it was the the video recordings act of 1984 which effectively banned a lot of horror films that they called video nasties they created this list of horror films and it was all based on this 1979 film that had a poster made for it in 1982 to try and get some eyeballs on it that yeah. eventually led to all of these films being banned and subsequently all of these films being much bigger and still being remembered today more than 40 years later, even though the films itself actually Ugh. weren't that gory and also were really shit. All my, all my curiosity's faded away now and I'm now in real anxiety mode. <laughs> what, are we, what are we doing today? So today we're doing a film from Abel Ferrara who is a really prolific director. And I think most notably known for Harvey Keitel's The Bad Lieutenant in the 90s. But this was one of the first films he ever did. Today, Peach, we are doing the film that was responsible for the banning of many, many horror films in the UK in the 1980s. Today, we're doing a film called Driller Killer. Driller Killer. See Jimmy Lane as Reno Miller, a man driven to the very edge. This is one of the worst films I've ever seen. It's also, uh, if you're keen to see a little no. bit of horror film history, it's in the public domain. So you can literally watch it anywhere. Like, uh, I saw this on YouTube but in double speed because it sucks. Like, this movie is 
Double, so... In fact, double double speeds are big. Like that's not one point two five. That's not just <laughs> hey, I just need to save a little bit of time here. So basically, I'll get the whole experience. <laughs> double speed is fucking a middle finger to the filmmakers. It's I don't amazing. know if you've seen a film from the seventies, but they are unwatchable. Like when we talk <laughs> about films being boring, films from the seventies are the worst things in the world. I know we talk about like old people's films, like Scorsese being the best example of people. Like, have you seen a Martin Scorsese film? And it's like, they're really, really long. <laughs> it's like in Casino, Joe Pesci stabs a guy. And it's like, yeah, like that happens for like 30 seconds. <laughs> in like a three-hour movie. And it's like, oh, God. I, I, wanted, I want to do a couple of things, first of all, Peach. Mm. I want to show you the... Oh, the poster. I'm going to show you the poster. So this was the poster... Mm that led to hundreds of films being banned in the UK. And the reason why I keep bringing back to the banning, in Australia, which is a pretty conservative country, this film was never banned. And in fact, I think when the re-release came out in this century, it was given an MA rating, which is what you'd give a scary Buffy episode. So it's it's not not a full-on film. And halfway through this film, Peach, I'd really like to share with you the most gruesome death, if that's okay. Uh, yeah, I'm really not having fun at the moment. Okay, but have you seen this poster? I've just clicked on an upload. There are those who kill violently, drill okay. the killer. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay, the that's... tagline for this film. There are those that kill violently, and it's like, yeah, I guess there are. It's like, so so there are. <laughs> and, I, and I do like how descriptive it is. It's like, this is a film about a killer, and <laughs> he's also a driller. And probably not a driller in the sense of like contemporary UK rap. Like, (laughs) (laughs) welcome to Brixton. (laughs) It's the driller killer. Oh, it's a good album title. So, Driller Killer from 1979. Fuck, it's a shit name as well. Oh, boo. boo. Oh, you know what? I actually kind of like the name because I do like the honesty of it, you mean? Yeah, I like a horror film name that says what it does. But now remember when, you know, we've talked about this before, like early horror films mm. that, the, the, I guess, the, and like early gross slashes that the new horror directors are trying to recreate, what they yeah. often forget is they spend most of the film being like, here's why he's a driller killer. And he got pushed into a vat of drills as a child. <laughs> <or whatever. laughs> All right. Okay. So it starts with artist Reno Miller. And his girlfriend, Carol. Mil- Reno Miller, the driller killer. Yeah. Uh... So his girlfriend, Carol, enter a small Catholic church. Not, not Camilla? <laughs> where he approaches an elderly bearded man revealed as Reno's estranged, derelict father. Now, in this film and in this Wikipedia synopsis, we're going to be talking about homeless people as basically an other. And that's what this film does. People experiencing homelessness, Shag, yes. you are as familiar as I am that it's a transient state, hopefully, and that it does not define a person. Yes, and everybody is two or three bad mishaps in their life away. Unless you are super rich, you are two or three bad mishaps happening in your life from, from experiencing homelessness. Experiencing yeah. homelessness. It is a thing. Mm. Whereas in this film, they are basically... Uh, a, a, a worse of, grade of people, yeah, I understand. Well, not, it's basically not, Oliver Twist. It's basically they've all got dirt on their face oh, and they God. sleep under newspapers. That is that is the... I mean, look, it's 1979. We can excuse it for that reason, but yes. 
We can explain it for that reason. We can explain it for that reason. So artist Reno Miller approaches an elderly bearded man revealed as Reno's estranged derelict father kneeling at the pulpit. The derelict seizes Reno's hand, causing him and Carol to flee from the church. Unknown to Reno, his father slipped him a piece of paper requesting a meeting with him. Reno denies knowing who the homeless man was. They just were at a meeting. They were just there with each other. <laughs> anyway, sorry. So later at his apartment, Reno receives a large Con Ed electricity bill and a phone bill, both of which, along with his monthly apartment rental fee, Reno cannot pay. He shares the apartment. Like how, like how deep into the film are we that we're going through the deep, the literal details of the bills he has received? So yeah, we are. We are like this film is hugely boring. It has a small cast. It feels like there wasn't room for any sound mixing. It it, it sound even though this is shot on film because it's like yeah, the it 1970s sounded or whatever, awful. In the it preview. sounds terrible, and the and the scripting is very exposition focused, but it's also very like stream of consciousness. It's a lot of like 1970s, like hey. Hey, what you do? You gotta pay. You you gotta pay this. Hey, Charlie, you gotta pay this bill. You wanna? I got your bill right here. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> a lot of crotch grabbing. I hope. Yeah. So he shares the apartment with Carol, a former flight attendant, and her drug addicted lover Pamela, in a derelict filled neighborhood in Union Square. Now I don't really know New York, but Union Square now, having looked it up is a very expensive place to live. Whereas 40 years ago, it was a scary place where you could be a down-and-out artist living with your ex-girlfriend, ex-flight attendant, you know, for basically nothing. Isn't that where Papaya King started? Near Union Square, I oh, think? Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. So... Could be wrong, though. So just, yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, <laughs> Who so, knows? <laughs> just a bit of flavour for the yeah. podcast. <laughs> So, so Reno visits Dalton, an art gallery owner, and tells him that he's currently painting a masterpiece. Now, we see this masterpiece every now and then. It's, it's a very dark, large painting. It has what looks like the head of a bison, also some scratch marks in it. It's not very good, but I could see it like on the wall of someone's house, uh, you know, very inoffensively. And this is a painting that keeps coming up as a bit of a, Focus point of the film. Ghostbusters 2 stuff. And keep in mind, we haven't seen any drilling killing yet, right? Well, like, but even drilling. Like, it's not like my job is <laughs> drilling. <so. laughs> All right. So, Reno asks the art dealer for a week's extension and a $500 loan to cover the rent. However, Dalton refuses, saying that he's already lent enough money to Reno. However, if Reno finishes a satisfactory painting in one week, Dalton will buy it for the agreed amount. The stakes are high. It's <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. I just, the, the whole time I was watching this film in super fast speed, I was like, I fuck it. Like, how did anyone sit through this film? Now, it's really important to know that all the people that wanted to ban this film hadn't seen it. They'd only seen the poster. Uh, oh, so there's only like one death, is there? Oh, no, there's heaps, but they're terrible. Like, like, um, like how long along in the plot are we as well? This is amazing. We're, they're pacing we're about 25 or 30 minutes okay. into the 96 minutes. All right, okay. All right. So the following day, a no-wave band. And now when we say no-wave, it basically means no melody and lots of like... Discordant, like meek. Who's the walk on the wild side guy? Like he... Um, uh, Lou Reed? Is it Lou Reed? No. Lou, Lou Reed. Reed. Lots of Lou Reed sort of like 
talking into the mic while someone like fucking boo boo and there's so much of this band in the film it sucks so much so there's a no way band let's go back to this band there's a no way band called the roosters and they're practicing their music in a nearby apartment which makes reno unnerved and frustrated unnerved he's like "Mm, this band they really they piss him off at 2 a.m in the morning while painting reno becomes increasingly agitated by the roosters music After seeing a vision of his own image saturated in blood, Reno walks the streets in the dark. He sees an elderly homeless man sleeping in a garbage-strewn alley, seizes him and begins ranting. As in the elderly man man seizes Reno and begins ranting. Reno ducks into the alley with the man where they see a small group of teenage gang members chasing another homeless person down the street. With drills? Like, like, where is... No, no, there's no drills yet. Okay, yeah, okay. When the gang members are gone from sight, Reno drops the man to the ground and walks away, vowing that he will not end up like a derelict. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm so, like, do, do you see why I hate this movie so like, much? Like, housing is important. Like, you, you know, like, like the, the anxiety that comes with uncertain housing, far out, that I can't, I can't think of many greater stresses, but... I feel like there's just such a degree of thoughtlessness and laziness applied to this. Well, keep in mind, so far we're saying that Reno has all these money pressures on his life. He is driven crazy by the band members playing next door. He's living in a part of the city where homelessness is quite visible Mm -hmm. and his dad might have been going through financial hardships and the film is kind of saying all of these things dri- are driving him to become a driller killer. Oh, God, really? Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So, the next day, Reno complains about the roosters to their landlord. However, the landlord refuses to act since the music doesn't bother him. He demands the rent money and ends up giving Reno a skinned rabbit for dinner. Reno takes the rabbit home, repeatedly stabbing it during the preparation. Again, it's a scene where like he's like caressing the rabbit and then he stabs it. It's shot really badly and really luridly. Although, because it's shot so badly, seeing this carcass is actually pretty gross and weird and sort of sets you up for the carnage that's about to happen. So during a brief reprieve from the music, Reno hears voices calling his name and sees an image of Carol with her eyes gouged out. Oh, I saw that in the preview. I didn't like that. So that night, Reno leaves his apartment and heads outside armed with a power drill connected to a portable battery pack. I like that the Wikipedia <laughs> lets us know how this works. I'm like, how is he fucking powering the drill? <laughs> <laughs> he discovers a homeless man inside an abandoned building and brutally kills him. Now, this first death involves him kind of riding him like a mechanical bull and like... Uh, uh, drilling him to death, lots of blood, the man screams, and he's sort of laughing maniacally. It's an odd scene. It's unsettling, but it's not super. Is nice. he aroused? Is he like, yeah, man, I love doing this? Or Yeah, it's it's though it, he's getting wide-eyed yeah. and being like, yes, this is awesome. Like, he's basically not been happy the entire film, and all of a sudden he's happy and excited and having a great time. But I thought the like I thought he would empathize with those who are the tough point in it. I mean, because he's got financial pressure yeah. on him, right? Anyway, so the following evening, Reno, Carol, and Pamela see Tony, Coca-Cola, and the Roosters at a nightclub. 
As the Roosters play, Reno becomes irritated by the music and crowd and leaves while Carol and Pamela dance and kiss. So Reno returns to his apartment, grabs his drill, and goes out on an all-out killing spree. Throughout the night, Reno kills a number of homeless sorry, people. Sorry, sorry, there, there was a word so. So, sorry, can you just read me the half of the sentence before so? What happened so uh, if he goes out on a killing spree? Uh, as the roosters play, yes. Reno becomes irritated by the music and the crowd. And so he leaves and goes to his apartment. So, he, he, so he, he's a little bit wound up about the band. Yeah. And so yeah. goes on a killing spree. But, but not against yeah. the band or the crowd. No. Okay. Against homeless people of which his father, he believes, is one and never wants to become like his father. Or Do you know what I mean? It's like it's, it's trying to paint a portrait of a man like pushed to the edge, but it's like pushed to what edge? By what? And I feel like there's such a degree of hatred of those experiencing homelessness that they're being treated as... Look, you know, equivalent to the rabbit that we were handed before. They are as disposable as an animal killed for food. Now, Peach, I I want to now, mm. much like the uh, DVD re-release of Salo. Okay, I'm going to go for a little side, yep. <laughs> like a sidebar here. You know, Salo is a film we've danced around and we are actually going to get to Ugh. it at some point because I've decided your horror education needs to take a very dark and twisted and disturbing It's in the canon, isn't it? But, 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 when Salo was unbanned in Australia and released on DVD uncut, they did something interesting and I think quite responsible where they decided that the context of the film was super important. And so they re-released it with this three-hour disc of like interviews and documentaries that explained the film and in the eyes of the, the um, classification board at the time, they were like, well, this then lowers the impact. And, you know, coupled with the fact that this film is aged, we now think it's okay to release this uncut to the public. But as long as you always release it or always screen it with this content as well. And I think it's really important when we get to next week's film and even talking about this week's film, which, you know, sparked a decade-long mm. hysteria about video nasties in inverted commas, it was kicked off by this film. This is the worst death in the film. I think it looks like a Doctor Who scene, but I'm gonna. I'm, I just want to share it with you. So okay. You so this is the scene that gave birth to the video. This is the worst scene of the film that gave birth to the video nasty era. Yes, let's do it. I can barely. Oh, the sound is so crap. Symbols. <laughs> I can barely make out what I'm seeing. It's so blurry. Well, this is a hey, how's your... I can't believe how bad the sound is. I can't see anything. Ooh, I can see a drill. Uh oh, it's a clean drill. What? It's like a cowboy, like, vroom vroom. I'm drill. Oh, shit. Oh, I'm not looking forward to this. 
He's revved the drill. We're approaching someone who I think is meant to be thought of as experiencing homelessness. Oh, God. We're going to drill into his forehead. Uh, oh, he's woken up to blood. Can we get... Yeah, for some reason, the person's not moving around despite having a drill put through his head. Uh. <coughs> um. Um. Oh, and then kisses the corpse. Yeah, yeah, and then he kisses the corpse. Um, so that's probably the worst scene in... That was fairly upsetting, but very strange as well. Very weird, right? Well, like, if someone's drilling into your head, you at least try to move away. Like, ah. I also don't believe a drill could just penetrate someone's Well, that obviously like that. didn't. Like, they didn't even try to make it look like that. They're like, well, he just drilled for a while, then <laughs> the thing the dude was dead. Then he kissed it, gave it a kiss on the way, gave the corpse a kiss on the way through. <laughs> that was very upsetting. Anyway, so that's that's the tone of this, you know, this killing spree that he goes I can on. Imagine and then he goes someone home. saying no more films like this. <laughs> this sucks. <laughs> Let's pass some legislation <laughs> so we don't have to watch this shit again. So he goes home and goes to sleep. Mm. Later on, Tony Coca-Cola visits Reno's apartment to ask Reno to paint a portrait of him. In exchange, Tony agrees to Reno's demand of five hundred dollars to cover his overdue rent. As Reno paints, Tony poses by playing his guitar and kissing Pamela. It's also like a really arty, awful set. Like, I just hated oh, it. It was, gosh, it was this just. It's so confusing tonally. It's just. Well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, okay. Next, we see. I love. We've said, we've said derelict. We've said homeless. Ugh. Now, next, we see a transient man upset in a nearby alley who is later attacked and killed by Reno. Afterwards, Reno completes his painting then wakes and notifies Pamela and Carol. The next day, Reno and Carol show the painting to Dalton, remember the art Mm. dealer who was going to agree to buy it, who leaves after declaring it unacceptable. He doesn't say why. We've seen this painting, like it hasn't really changed that much. And Dalton's like, it's unacceptable. Like, I'm not fine. Like he just makes this big scene and leaves. And well, he doesn't know art, then, but he knows what he likes. He's like, no, this, is- <laughs> <laughs> this isn't for me. <laughs> so then Carol yells at Reno for sitting with a blank facial expression, which results in her leaving Reno for her ex-husband, Stephen, by the next morning, even though she's staying there with her girlfriend as well. Like the whole thing. It's, so it's, it's assembling not- now. Like, like they're just like, oh, we've got no idea. Like, what are we going to do next? <laughs> <laughs> This is like a really bad improv scene where someone's trying to keep it together, but it's just falling apart. Uh, I'm a tomato that hates being a tomato. Oh, shit. What am I, <laughs> what am I going to do? That evening, Reno calls Dalton and invites him to see another painting. When Dalton arrives as the roosters are practicing, a dressed up Reno kills him with his drill. After visiting the roosters, Pamela returns to the apartment where, upon the discovery of Dalton's body stuck to the door because he's been drilled, drilled yeah, through yeah, okay. and the drills. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. She flees into the hallway before Reno grabs her. Pamela's fate is left ambiguous, like a lot of this film. <laughs> <laughs> across town, across town, Carol is back with Stephen at his apartment. She takes a wasn't shower. Her, so it wasn't her outcome, like, wasn't that left ambiguous? No, 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 that was Pamela Carroll's girlfriend. Okay, I was girlfriend. girlfriend, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. 
So remember, Carol fled to her ex-husband. Yes, yes, yes. And they're making tea at their apartment. While Carol has a shower, Reno enters the apartment, kills Stephen, and then hides his body behind a kitchen counter. Carol, exiting from her shower, walks to the bedroom where Reno is hiding underneath the bed covers. She turns off the light, gets into bed, and tells Stephen to come here. The film suddenly ends, leaving Carol's ultimate fate unknown. Like, I don't know. <laughs> oh, bravo, video nasty era for protecting us. Imagine if you're in the cinema in 1978. This is the best movie you've ever seen. So fast paced. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the end, everyone's just like, what? <laughs> what, I, what I'm happy about doing this film today mm. is, Peach, you have now mm. been taken through a really important part of horror history yes. and you've seen the worst part of the film yes. not because the film's good in any way <laughs> but because of the hysteria that was created mm. off the back of a poster from this film peach what did you think of drilling well uh, my chief insecurity uh that i've discussed today probably does remain baldness rather than horror films so you know <laughs> it's like it's <laughs> it like you know nothing's changed which is good um look i'm feeling bullish so that's the worst scene of the worst movie. Tough, tough guy Peach over here just sat through it. So I'm, so I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty cocky right now. I'm, I'm all right. I'm having a good time. I mean, according to parents who had never seen a horror film, including, including that one, that, that one. is, that's the worst scene in the worst film that's ever been made. So yes, yes. I'm the bravest man alive. Uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe, and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?